Well, just a few words out of Luke 4 this morning, and we'll continue on uh, spirit of worship and details and uh, spreadsheets and all of that good stuff this morning. But a quick moment of reflection and looking forward. What a year it's been, as, as Danny has already mentioned. And uh, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is that we're, we're not who we were, and we're not yet who we're becoming. We're not, yet, we're not who we were. Dice was sharing that, even the experience of a Sunday morning. It's, it's changed. It's different. The, the size of our church has changed. And therefore, the Sunday morning experience and some of the relationships um, have changed. And I think that's important to, to look at those things and say those things. We, we're not who we were. We've changed. Um, Yet, if we emphasize that too much, it's kind of like the, the uh, husband who is saying, like, my wife isn't what she was, or she just doesn't look the same. Uh, that's a, you don't say that. You do not say that. <laughs> you, you know, it, you realize, no, there's maturing, and there's changing, and there's growth. And in all of that, there's new ways and opportunities to love. She's not who she was, but neither am I, and neither is our love. It's changing too. And so we're not who we were, and yet we're not who we're becoming. Uh, one of my favorite things I've heard Peter say many times, and this was when we were moving to the rickshaw on the downtown east side, there were many questions swirling, some from people in the neighborhood. Could Artisan be a downtown east side church? Would Artisan be good news for this neighborhood? Could we, could we meet in a punk rock heavy metal venue? Could, could Artisan do this? And Peter's answer was, I could spin, I think, a decent answer. But really, just ask us in 50 years. Ask, and I love this classic Peter, long view kind of thinking. Ask us in 50 years. Why? Because we're not yet who we're becoming. And the work of God often is slow. And we're in process. So we're not who we were. And we're not yet who we are becoming. And as Brené Brown says, we're somewhere in the messy middle. But all good stories have that messy middle. That in between, that liminal space, that desert that place where we're, we've left home and we haven't, you know, it's between departure and arrival. But we're on our way and by God's grace, something is forming and being reborn and emerging, even amongst us. We are becoming. There's been so much becoming. Some of us have become followers of Jesus in this year as we've entered the waters of baptism. Some of us have become more involved by just signing up for a service team, even though we really didn't want to do it, but the work needed doing. Some of us have become more alive in using our gifts in ministry, or by resting and, and kind of withdrawing for a season our gifts. Some of us have wept real tears and prayed real prayers. Some of us have opened our homes week after week after week. Some of us have stayed when we wanted to leave. Some of us have taught and wrangled and enjoyed and empowered children. Some of us have come to faith and found that Jesus is real and available. And some of us have come to faith again and found that Jesus is real and available. Some of us have left our favorite neighborhood group to go and start a new one. Some of us have made classrooms out of rickshaw hallways. 
Some of us have been on the path of catalyzing right, just, and whole relationships between the church and the First Peoples in Canada. Some of us have shown up by leading songs of worship or praying for others, and, and many of us have caught a clear vision of how God is inviting us to fill in the blank of joining him in the renewal of so all of us in this U-shaped year of death and resurrection, all of us are on the way to becoming. We're becoming uh, this new thing. We're becoming, we're learning how to be the church. So who are we and what are we becoming? Uh, one of my favorite quotes in the last couple weeks is by a guy named Stan Mitchell. He says this, he says, there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, let's go back, it should be in there. Or maybe it didn't get updated. That's fine. I'll just read it to you. There are two kinds of people in the world. The one who walks into a room and says, here I am. And the other who says, oh, there you are. The second half of life, I plan on being the latter. Two kinds of people. The first that comes in announcing, hey, I'm here. And the other having eyes for other people and saying, oh, there you are. And so there is the possibility of not only becoming this kind of person, but becoming this kind of church. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that Jesus was the man for others. Really simple phrase, but really beautiful. Jesus, the man for others. And so this morning, I'd like to briefly consider what would it mean as we're in this process of becoming, of becoming even more a church for others. Okay, so let's look at Luke 4. Uh, verse 14, if you have a Bible or app, you can go there, I'll read it here as well. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found this place where it was written. I want to pause there and just notice a few things. Jesus is fresh out of the desert. He's starting his ministry. His very first act in ministry is what? To, to enter, first of all, the familiar place, his hometown. He enters the familiar place, the place of his childhood memories, his old friends. And what does he do? He opens the scroll. He, he looks at and listens to Scripture, Isaiah in particular. And so there's no sense here with Jesus that he's inventing something or that he's making it up or that he's trying to improve upon something, uh, specifically God's revelation. He's starting with Scripture. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, shows us a relationship with Scripture that is dependent and imaginative and wild and faithful. Jesus knows Scripture. He interprets it. He teaches it. He seizes his conversations with it. He confronts and challenges his disciples with it. He rebukes the devil with it. He comforts himself with it. And he even reinterprets it where he says things like, You've heard it said, but... I say unto you. Jesus shows us a scripture-soaked life. That plus the context of where he's reading scripture. He's reading it in his hometown. He's applying it. He's bringing it to all the old places, the familiar places. It's likely the hardest place 
to read scripture. And so when we consider who we're becoming, well, we want to become more like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? Well, Jesus shows us a scripture-soaked life. And so in our process of becoming, we want to become people who hear and attend to God's word, who listen to it, who wrestle with it and struggle with it, who obey it and enjoy it. Now, I've been listening to a variety of different kinds of preaching. I'm trying to get out of my Scandinavian stiltedness. And so I've been listening to more black preachers and watching preaching on YouTube. And so I just wanted to throw out a uh, little phrase here. You gots to unroll the scroll. Okay. That if I was to kind of summarize it here, you gots to unroll that scroll. That's about as loose as I can go. But... Um, but we want to be people who, who know how to do that. We know how to unroll the scroll. We know how to go, go to scripture and, and, in a way, do the things we've always been doing. This is why we open the scripture when we gather. This is why our neighborhood, neighborhood groups look at scripture when, when they gather. This is why we've done years of Lectio uh, early Wednesday mornings, waking up early to come and listen and to hear and put our put our ears against the text so we might hear the living God. We do this very subversive, I don't know if you felt this last Sunday, but this very subversive act of reading the lectionary. This three-year cycle of, where scripture just comes up and nobody gets to comment on it. It just is set in front of us and it detonates and sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's confusing and sometimes it's comforting and sometimes it's confounding. And it's just this strange act where God's wild words do their thing and we all just kind of sit in awe. He got to unroll the scroll and we're learning how to do that and we want to, that's the last time I'm going to say it, by the way. But, uh, yeah. Hey, oh, I love having you here, Val. Um, but we increasingly want to learn how to do that. And so in a couple weeks, we're going to have a preaching series. And by the way, I see sermons, at, at best, sermons start things rather than finish them. And so the hope is that this series might catalyze some discussions for us. And, and the series is called Breaking Up and Making Up with the Bible. And, and the hope is that we can surface some of our biases against Scripture, some of our maybe our misunderstandings, asking uh, simple but hard questions like, what is scripture? What is the word of God? What do we do with patriarchy, violence, um, wrath in, in the Old Testament? What is the relationship between Old Testament and New Testament? Um, to, so to ask really honest questions and then hopefully nurture some new practices uh, of relating to the Bible. So we're going to resurrect Lectio. Nelson's going to be leading Electio Wednesdays during Lent, during this series. Another thing we're going to try is we're going to try going, taking a little bit of a page out of the old school church manual, and we're going to try, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time, but is to have pew Bibles. Now, we don't have pews, so maybe we'll just call them chair Bibles or, or still pew Bibles. I don't know. But we, for a long time, I've wanted to have them because when, when I say, or another preacher says, turn in your Bibles or open your apps, it's like, come on, how much of that's actually happening? Not a whole lot. And uh, so we want to be in the text when we're in the text, and we want to learn and become more literate in Scripture so we know where we're going. And, and so a, a relationship of uh, learning to appreciate the Bible's authority 
that it might inspire me, that it could change and maybe even transform me. I want to give scripture that chance. And so I was looking for few Bibles. And then a friend said, hey, I've got 200 Bibles. Would you want them? And I thought, this is awesome. God's answered our prayer. You know, free Bibles. Yes. And then I opened up them up and I found they're the most tacky screensaver art uh, possible on the cover. And, and then I thought, well, no, maybe that's a good metaphor, you know, of not judging a book by its cover. So... Uh, <laughs> But really excited for, for having scriptures. So we're just going to have those on the chairs. And then when we go into the text as a community, we'll, we'll go into the text together. And if you, you, know, you don't like this one, you could bring your own. Um, so we're going to start that on March 12th as we dive into the problems and the possibilities of the Bible. Okay, carrying on. Luke 4. So Jesus... He unrolls the scroll and he reads from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So we're, be, we're beginning to see a connection here. As we're wanting to become more like Jesus, you've got word, and now you've got spirit. Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And Jesus shows us what a life fully yield to, yielded to the spirit looks like. And it's this Holy Spirit that enables Jesus to do these phenomenal things of proclaiming good news and setting the oppressed free and so on. Jesus did all of these things because the Spirit was on him. And later on, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am now sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. And so there's this sense that Jesus is saying, well, as the Spirit was on me, and, and you've been watching me these three years. Now, I want to give you that same spirit so you can do the stuff too. The spirit is on you. Receive the Holy Spirit. So it's completely faithful to say the sovereign Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news as well. So God's design for the church is a group of people who can say that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And this is the dream of an empowered, activated, creative, social, uh, sacrificial, visionary people joining God in his work in the world, which is very different than hiring staff to run a church. Those are two different things, hiring staff to run a church and get volunteers to do stuff versus a collection of people who say the sovereign Lord is on me to do and to be. Now, one of the darker realities of church, I think, is this. There is the possibility of joining a church, and by joining it, projecting on the leadership or just on the church, my hopes, values, and ideals. And I get to watch the leaders do these things. And I will applaud or criticize depending on the degree uh, in that they fulfill my values ideals and vision so if they're doing the stuff i'm into i love this place if not so much not that great of a church 
okay? And whether I'm doing it or not, by projecting, I feel like I'm close to it. So it's passive. Also dangerous for leadership to project on the people their values, ideals, visions. And as long as people do the things, come to the programs, etc., then it's like, oh, also passive. When we were rebooting and doing death and resurrection and talking about change, I felt God really challenge me, saying, you like this because you like being around change and you like watching other people change, but Lance, will you change? So the danger of projection goes both ways. So we can have lots of projecting, but what we're invited to here is participating in the life of the Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit to be an empowered people. And so I imagine this to be growing out of who we already are. We are, we are people who are learning contemplative practices and, and taking that and developing it with a charismatic practice as well, contemplative and charismatic, where it's normal for us to hear and receive and to give words of prophecy, where it's normal for us to want to pray and worship and, and, uh, and be alive in God's spirit. And for old, our old wineskins, to use charismatic language, <laughs> To, to shed those and to get a new imagination for how, what does it mean to be alive in the Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit to be an empowered people, not just to project, but to participate. And so that means, say, it, what it really means is being willing to make the thing that doesn't exist yet. I wish Artisan was a more welcoming community. And so rather projecting that hope, it means stepping into it and saying, I wish Artisan was a more welcoming community and I'm going to participate by being welcoming, right? Or I wish Artisan was, was more whatever your wish is, your hope, rather than projecting, participating and stepping into it. Well, I'm not going to wait for the leadership to catch up to this. God's spirit is on me. I'm stepping out. I got to unroll the scroll. Thank you, Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've been learning this in, in uh, trying to have more of a culture of empowerment. As Nelson has been facilitating this table group on spiritual gifts, strengths finder, and Enneagram. All of this has to do with empowerment, learning that the Spirit's on you, growing the contemplative and the charismatic, and then up, wanting to start a conversation in the spring, having a, a series on the Holy Spirit called The Face of the Deep. So we can learn and expect and operate in the power of God by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus reads this. People are loving it. It says, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. 
And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove them out of the town, and took them to the edge of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the cloud and went on his way. Walked through the crowd, not the cloud. Um, Whoa, it's really mind-bending. But did you hear the shift there where we go from everyone's like, what a great sermon. Really appreciate that. Joseph's son, did you know he could preach? I didn't know. That was just so encouraging and uplifting. How do you go from people loving the message and some nice church folk having chit-chat at the back of the sanctuary or maybe over lunch with some crumpets? How do you go from that to a mob, angry, organizing for real violence? Like off the cliff, edge, murdery type of violence. How do you go? How do you go there? Well, the turn happens when Jesus shows them that what he's saying is that this this word and this spirit, the, the work of God is not for you. Did you hear how he said that? He's like, oh, there was other people who had leprosy in Israel, but none of them got healed. God healed the Syrian. And people are irate. What do you mean this isn't for me? What do you mean the work of God isn't here for us? God's faithful. Jesus is like, no. Um, Actually, the work God is doing in the world, it's for those on the edges. And then he's brought to the edge of town to be thrown off the edge of a cliff. And yet he somehow rides that edge by walking through the crowd. And Jesus shows us that when you're filled with the word and when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be led to the edges because that's where God moves. If you follow Jesus on the edges, sooner or later you're going to get in a lot of trouble, particularly with the religious people. What edges might God be inviting us to ride in this coming year? Word, spirit, edge. So to take Stan Mitchell's quote, I'd say that I think if we're to be really reductionistic, there's of course more than two kinds of churches, but it's Stan's quote. So working off that template, there's two kinds of churches in the world. The kind that arrive in Vancouver and say, here we are. And the kind that says, you're here. And also, God's here. And also, what can I learn from you? And how can I serve you? And where is God at work in the neighborhood? And what is the subtext of pain in this place? And did you know that God's beloved? And also things like the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to bring good news to this place. And oh, you're broken too. Come meet Jesus, the one who heals and makes whole. We're not who we were And yet we're not who we're becoming, but we're on the way. We're on the way. I think the invitation this year is for us to, in a deeper way, know the word, to receive the spirit, and to move to the edge. God, give us grace to do these things and to become more like your son. Amen.